The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this episode are that of the guest and host and do not necessarily reflect the values of sponsors or other associated organizations. Welcome to the Parental Compass presented by Family Education and Support Services. I am your host, Bobby Williams. If you like what you hear, I strongly encourage you to hit subscribe. All the platforms have it. Hit subscribe and we'll notify you each week when the next episode comes out. For many people, when they think about foster care, they think about fostering babies or small children. but. What about teenagers? What about teenagers? Today we are going to be talking about fostering teens, managing behavior challenges, and just in general, what works. We have the dream team on this one. Jody Smetak is a licensed family therapist, and Scott Hanauer is clinical director for Family Education and Support Services. I have known and worked alongside both of them for many years, and they're just, they're such a source of wisdom. It was a really interesting conversation. I think that you're going to like it. Here we go. Like maybe that doesn't work for a kid who's been through trauma or what are, what are the differences from a kid who's been through trauma and one who hasn't in regards to being a foster parent? I think that around this topic, there are, we have to remember that, that teens are going to test us. Any kid's going to test us. And sometimes those, those tests are going to be worse or longer with kids that have suffered trauma and have been moved around from home to home. Um, and the more that we can instill in them that you want them there, um, that, that you understand where they come from and you understand that they, you know, they have this history of trauma, the more that we can let them know that we want them there and to get involved in, you know, because like you said, Bobby, we want them to be able to come back. If they go off to college. We want them to have a place to land. And, um, and I think it's, you know, building that relationship and letting them know that you do want them there. That said, I think it's also really important to, and this doesn't always happen, but I think it's really important for foster parents to get as much information about that child as possible right from the beginning so that you have some sort of idea of where this kid has been um, so that you can approach it a little bit differently and come from that place of compassion and empathy. So I think those are, those are big things too. Yeah, I think what's tough is Okay, so teenagers are going to push it to the line and try to find the boundary. And how do you keep that boundary? Basically, how do you balance being too hard or too soft? Because you don't want to just be wishy-washy, but then you don't want to be like in a, fa- in a kid's face screaming at them either. Where, where is that balance or how do you even go about working that? What we've been talking to foster parents a lot about, Bobby, is how important it is to be high structure, high nurture. Mm-hmm. So you're balancing both of those things. And the high structure part is holding people accountable, having predictable routines and consistency in their homes. The nurture part is 
having fun with your kids, um, doing pro-social activities. One of the things we talk a lot with foster parents about is recognize, looking for their, for their youth spark. What is their spark? What is the thing that they have a passion for? Every kid has a spark. Even toddlers have sparks, you know, sparks for toddlers are dinosaurs or princesses or garbage trucks. Um, yeah, I totally agree with Scott, um, you know, finding that spark and fostering it. I think that, um, I think setting those expectations from the very beginning um, about the structure and what the expectations are in your home. Um, you don't want to wait for a kiddo to act out to tell them that this is the expectation. You want to set that up right from the beginning and yes. be really clear about what your expectations are, especially with, with teenagers. Um, you really kind of have to spell it out and, and say, my expectation is for you to, um, you know, not be on your phone after 10 o'clock, then, you know, you need to, you need to be able to follow up with that and show that, that you are going to hold them accountable for that expectation. Yeah. It's easier to get more loose than it is to get tougher over time. Like if you start tough and loosen up a little, that's one thing, but it's tough to like set a new precedent of like, now we're going to, yes. things are going to be different around here. Yeah. yeah. Something I would always tell parents about is if you're making a consequence, don't make it a consequence on yourself. Like if you can be indifferent about like, okay, you can do this and this will happen, or you do this and this other thing will happen. It doesn't affect me emotionally either way you know, I'm going to take away your phone or not, but you can just get in this habit of like, well, then we're going to sit here together for an hour. It's like, just don't make yourself suffer. Right. Well, and I think too, Bobby, it's, um, you know, if you have, if you have your own kids in the home and then you bring in a foster kiddo and you have expectations of them that are different from your bio kiddos, that's going to cause conflict too. You know, if, if, if this person has to go to bed at this time, but these ones get to stay up to this time, there's going to be a power struggle right there. Um, and they are going to act out. So, you know, setting those expectations for, if you already have them established, then you're just letting the next person know what they are. Sometimes we tend as adults to get into looking for the negative behavior and consequenting the negative behavior or punishing the negative behavior. What we want to do is to shift that around, particularly for kids who have experienced trauma. Um, there's a phrase I like, it's not mine, but that you can't punish kids into being good, um, but you can reward kids into being good. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so um, looking for acknowledging positive behavior, rewarding positive behavior, um, is way more effective than trying to give consequences for negative behavior. I think it's almost like you have to count. Part of being a human is like honing in on negative things sometimes. Like it's not a good part, but I think it's like this primal thing of you're looking for like the threat. So it's almost like you have to be intentional to be like strength-based, focus on the good things they are, are doing yes. and yeah. That, that's intentional, though. That doesn't always come totally natural for people. It is. That's kind of the counterintuitive part, I think, sometimes. Um, uh, a person I know, uh, is another phrase that he uses was that you have to find the gems in the field of debris. 
meaning you have to look for the good behavior and acknowledge that and reward that, even though there might be some negative behavior that surrounds it. We're much better off recognizing, rewarding, and acknowledge the positive behavior versus pointing out the negative behavior. Totally. Yeah, and I think to add to that, Scott, is um, that, you know, letting them know, letting them know not only, not only fostering the um, finding their spark and following, you know, what they want to do um, and, you know, getting them involved. I think a lot of foster kids come, you know, some foster kids, especially the ones that get bounced around from home to home, may already be involved in an activity and now they've moved out of that school district or something. And I think it's really important to, if you can, if it's at all possible, continue allowing them to do that, um, you know, connect with the social worker and find out how can you make that happen. So they continue some sort of normalcy and we want them to do those pro-social activities, definitely. I was reading something the other day that said one way you can make a foster youth feel comfortable in your home is to ask them like what their favorite foods are and um, you know make them their favorite foods. Are there other ways to just help them feel accepted and welcome in a home? Yeah, I think anything that's about food, about their culture, about their community that the parents can embrace, um, you know, is way more effective than trying to make the youth fit into the foster family's culture or community. Mm. Totally. There's always this honeymoon period, not always, sometimes it doesn't happen, but there can be this honeymoon period where it's like, oh, I don't know why this child is having problems at all the, their other homes. They came to my place and they're doing great. I'm just an exceptional foster parent. And then it's like three weeks in, everything flips. And it's like, what happened? Is there any ideas about the honeymoon period and how to deal with that or just your thoughts? I think, yeah. And I think that is that definitely happens. And I think... Um, you know, kids can only suppress those feelings for so long, and then they're gonna they're gonna show their their true identity and those those behaviors that come with you know being impacted by trauma. They're gonna start to come out, and I think you know the best thing is is to one is to know that that you know expect it. There will be a honeymoon period. Um, if it doesn't happen, then it doesn't happen, but expect that it will, and then you'll be prepared for when it does. If you can start pre-planning, like, okay, I know these big behaviors might be coming up, and what am I going to do? What are my boundaries? Um, I think it's really important to, to kind of plan for that. I also think that um, it's important when we talk about the honeymoon period that we also talk about the period that follows the honeymoon, which is the test. And every child who's been experienced trauma, who has been in multiple placements, particularly teenagers, after the honeymoon period is gonna come a test. And the test is, are you gonna replicate what happened to me before? Are you gonna reject me? Are you gonna eject me? What, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna hurt me? Are you, what are you gonna do if you get angry at me? What are you gonna do if you get mad at me? So being prepared, not only for the honeymoon, but also be prepared for the test that's gonna follow that. Yeah, the test is like the anti-honeymoon and then you sort of stable somewhere in the middle. 
Hopefully. Absolutely. What do you think families should consider when they're being offered a placement? Like what questions should they ask themselves or what's the, you know, the prep work before making a decision? I think the biggest thing is to ask yourself, do I have the capability of treating this child, this kiddo with empathy and compassion? Um, And if you don't feel like you have those skills, then it's probably not going to be as very successful placement. You have to be willing to to invest in understanding um, where they've been. And that starts with the very beginning with being trauma informed, Um, because a lot of these kids come with a lot of trauma. And sometimes foster parents don't have experience in the things that kids have been through. And so I think, you know, getting as much training as you can and finding out as much as you can from the beginning um, and asking yourself those questions. Can I treat this kid um, like my other kids um, with empathy and compassion? You know, there's been a lot of um, talk over the last number of years about being trauma-informed and what does that mean? And what I've come to understand more is that we have to be trauma-informed, but more importantly, we have to be resiliency-informed. That you know, that trauma does not have to be a life sentence for kids. That we can actually foster parents. When I say we foster parents can actually mitigate the impact of trauma by knowing what skills to use to build resiliency in kids who have experienced trauma. And sometimes it's parenting skills that might be kind of counterintuitive. Where can they learn that stuff? Or how do you become resiliency informed? There's neurobiology behind the skills to build resiliency in kids. I'll give you another, you know, so we talked about social activities being a resiliency informed strategy, finding kids sparks, uh, dealing with power struggles. Um, The other one I think that um, we encounter with foster parents, foster parents or foster families who have teens is to make sure that we're put, we understand, that the foster parents understand uh, the peers in those kids' lives and knowing which of those peers make our kids' life better and which of those peers make our kids' lives worse. And um, we want foster parents to put their kids in a position of engaging in peer relationships that are actually pro-social versus the opposite of that. Yeah, knowing who your kids' friends are, are important for every parent, I would say. There's a statistic or, you know, a phrase out there that says that the single biggest driver of a teenager's behavior is the friends they hang out with. It's not their school. It's not their families. It's not their faith-based organization. It is their peers. So as foster parents, we need to know who it is that our kids are hanging out with. Yeah. Well, they say, or I've heard it said that it's like the five people you spend the most time with have a big influence on you. And that's probably true for adults too. And it it makes you want to be sort of intentional of like, you know, I want to surround myself with good people. Yes. To agree with Scott, the influence of peers, and we really want them to um, be around the positive peers, you know, whether it's a foster parent or or, or a bio parent, I think that kids are going to, kids are curious and they're going to, if they, if they want to learn something or know something, 
they're going to go, you want them to come to you as a parent. Um, because to get the answer, if they go to their peers, they're most likely not getting a great answer. And so really kind of fostering who you want them to hang out with in, in a way that makes them know that you're okay with that. Um, but I think really encouraging them to come to you and ask some of those, those important questions or talk about important topics um, is, is better than having them learn that stuff from their peers. But can, can you really control who a kid's friends are though? Yeah, yes. <laughs> yes, you can. <laughs> Jody says no. I say yes, you can. <laughs> Control is probably not the word I would use, but to put kids in a position of being able to make friends and to meet people who are actually a positive influence in their life. So where do you find pro-social peers? You find pro-social peers doing pro-social activities. Um you know, whether it's music, like the Bridge Music Project, or if it's sports or arts, or, um, you know, it could be gardening, it could be, it could be anything. I also believe that sparks are really important, that parents do sparks with their kids. Um, so the best conversations that parents, any parent, but particularly foster parents are going to have with their youth is when they're doing something where they're both enjoying themselves. And it could be cooking, it could be gardening, it could be the best conversations I've ever had with kids is on a chairlift because I like to ski. <laughs> and kids who would absolutely refuse to talk to me in a therapy session were more than happy to talk to me on a chairlift. Mm -hmm. It's like, um... You know, when I was driving a lot of youth around, it's like driving the car, you can kind of talk better than just like, sit down and talk to me. Yeah. So why do you think that's true? I think it's just there's less pressure, you know, like it's less focused than like, okay, we're having a therapy session here. Yep. So yeah, having, yep. having to be less direct like that is way better. Yeah. And I think there's other reasons too, is that you're not face to face and that it's time limited. They only have to talk to you until they get to the destination. The kids only had to talk to me until we got to the top of the chairlift and they didn't have to talk to me anymore. So um, yeah, there's a lot of reasons. I think doing pro-social things with kids enhances that attachment and that adolescents do attach the foster parents. Society gets so down on teenagers in general. And you know, we talk a lot about like, issues people have but what are some of the fun positive pro sides of having a teenager in your home of fostering a teenager well i think i think some big things are is that you can you can talk to them um you can have real conversations with them um i think also that you um you, you can negotiate with them. If, if there's something that you're asking and there's something they're wanting, you can negotiate. They have those, those skills. And there was a study that was done a long time ago, and I mean like decades ago, where they asked a bunch of parents of teenage kids, and these were not foster parents, it's just you know typical families that had teenage kids. And they asked the parents what they thought rewards were for their kids who you know, for good behavior, for positive behavior. And, it, and the parents identified things like more screen time, more independence, more time with their friends, more time at the mall. They asked the youth from the same families what was reports for them. Number one thing on their list was time with their parents. That is 
what Jody's talking about, I think, is that you can have fun with teenage kids. You can do sparks with kids. You can take them hiking or teach them music like you do at the Bridge Music Project. Teens, they have this reputation for being more distant, but they do like positive adult attention. Like that's a real thing. Yep, absolutely. Thank you, Jody. Thank you, Scott, for being here. And it's always great working with you both. Thank you, Bobby. Thanks for having me, Bobby. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Scott and Jody. This has been the Parental Compass by Family Education and Support Services. Bobby Williams, we'll see you next week. Peace.